on this week's episode of Polk and Kush. We're in off-season mode, and we've got a whole bunch to talk about. Zion Williamson talked to the press for the first time in almost a year. Plus, we got David Griffin's reaction to it, as well as the Saints signing the Honey Badger, Jazz Fest with our lovely mayor, and, of course, the worst of the week. You're going to want to stick around to hear all of it right here, right now. Polk and Kush! Come everyone to poke and cush. It is Wednesday, May 4th, 2022, and we have officially hit the offseason. There will be no games played for four months uh, in this city, uh, so buckle up, everyone. We've got a lot going on as far as news, but no games, and it is a weird time. For me, personally, because all I do is go to games. Yeah. Well, now you've got Jazz Fest. That is true. Uh, First of all, I'm Scott Kushner alongside my co-host and buddy, Mr. Andrew Polk. How are you? Good. They know who we are at this point. That's a valid point. Uh, Did you make it out to the festival? I went to Jazz Fest on Saturday. Uh, You know me, big The Who fan. Yes. I'll often talk about that. I love The Seeker. (laughs) I was a staunch defender of uh, those pedophile claims <laughs> against uh, Pete Townsend. Was that, that sounds the? right? Roger yeah. Daltrey, one of them. Keith Moon. I just it How wasn't do I know Keith three Moon. Guys from the Who. I think Keith Moon has been dead for thirty years. At least thirty years. It might be forty <laughs> years. Did he die before John Lennon? Yeah, he died before. It's bad to be a pedophile, <laughs> so he's doesn't he, not even applicable in this scenario. I went on Saturday. Uh, I was hanging out in the Coca Cola hospitality tent. Fancy man! It was like uh, perpendicular to the. I don't know what that. I think that means around. It was around <laughs> Congo Square. I got you know Congo Square was great. They wheeled Nelly out. Nice, nice. He was in the Hannibal Lecter mask. <laughs> You don't realize how many songs Nelly truly has. He does all of them. So I saw Nelly in Vegas, and this was the complaint I heard from people who saw him live. They're like, he play, he has a ton of hits, and he plays all of them in like 15 minutes. Like he doesn't, he didn't do the whole version of Country Grammar. It's like, dude, milk that one. Play it twice for all you should. Like, why are you doing 90 seconds of Country Grammar? You should do the whole damn thing. Well, I mean, this is the artist's dilemma. You know, he's sick of that song. He wants to play the new stuff, the stuff that means stuff to him. Yeah. Nelly wants to rap about Ukraine. He wants <laughs> to rap about Roe v. Wade. Nelly is an artist. He doesn't want to sing the, the Tim McGraw song. <laughs> Whatever that was. That was, Tim that McGraw, was the horse song. Uh, over and over again. I'm going to say over and over again. Uh, yeah. I I, uh, I don't. He you does don't, have a ton of hits, though. Yeah. I mean, it was, what, like a six-year period he had. It must have had like 10, 
top 10 hits. Oh, yeah. I was wearing the Band-Aid to class. <laughs> Cardinals cap. Fan. Yeah. All of it. Um, but, yeah, you know, Jazz Fest was a lot of fun. I did not get sunburnt. Congrats. Um, you don't look sunburned either. Do I not? N- not really. I roast a little red. Yeah, it's very point. Mostly from all the yelling uh, <laughs> and ranting. Uh, yeah, man, it was a wonderful uh, festival weekend for me. I went Friday and Sunday. Uh, I have a, uh, a wonderful wife and a wonderful in-laws, and they allowed me to go uh, without any family. And I just went out and uh, really... Uh, you know, rip the rip the bandaid off, uh, as they say. I uh, pulled the pulled the ripcord, and it was a scene. I had a lot of beer. I did a lot of dancing. Oh. I was yelling a lot. Uh, I hung out with some friends. It was a very very good time. Uh, it was a nice throwback weekend uh, for Daddy, uh, as I did not have to, any responsibilities out there at the festival except to keep myself upright, which I did successfully that's great yeah dancing drinking ladies it sounds like we're (laughs) recording the podcast but you're describing jazz fest itself we were on off days else or you know we could have gone to the vip chili peppers or whatever yeah i uh instead i i fought my way like i was 21 fought my way to the front of the crowd uh with a couple buddies for the chili peppers and it was one of those rare times where it was very worth it. Like, I fought to the front for a couple other Jazz Fest shows and be like, this is very crowded and very much sucks after, like, 15 minutes. You're like, even if it's they're great. Chili Peppers were awesome. Just, like, four incredible musicians on stage at once playing a lot of stuff that a lot of people love. And it was just a, a very nice feeling to have that back. The opposite version was Lionel Richie, who really might as well have like been animatronic at this point. <laughs> Not that he like wasn't he's was he's he's charming and he's captivating, but it's like I can feel that he's gone through the motions of this exact set somewhere between ten and twenty thousand times in his life. And he was wearing a sequined jacket that said all night long. That's fantastic. That's the kind of stuff usually you only see at, like, the Marengo Casino. Yes. It was literally the casino magic act that he's probably done at, you know, uh, 70 cities in the country already this year. Well, the good thing about uh, seeing the Chili Peppers is you get to see four incredible musicians yes. together in a festival of incredible musicians. However... He is probably the greatest bass player that's ever been in Back to the Future. <laughs> yes. He also uh, busted out a, uh, a Lakers guitar. And there were a handful. Of, you know, he's a huge Flea is a huge Lakers fan. And as he did it, he kind of busts out the Lakers. And he, a couple of people boo. And he's like, he goes, you don't need to boo us. Like, you guys got Brandon Ingram. I think you guys are doing just fine. Congratulations on that. Um, and it was cool, man. They they all like individually expressed like how much they genuinely love New Orleans, which felt very real and heartfelt. And then uh, they had a nice tribute to Taylor Hawkins, the deceased drummer of the Foo Fighters, because he uh, that was their slot. That was supposed to be when the Foo Fighters played. Apparently, Taylor Hawkins' uh, family was in the, was backstage. Uh, very emotional uh, kind of send off for him. Uh, just a really cool moment. Those kind of things that really only happen at Jazz Fest. The kind of thing you really very rarely get at like an arena show 
uh, but do like those kismet moments that you can get out of the festival. A very emotional uh, moment after 17 <laughs> Mike's Hard Lemonades. <laughs> Not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> and a bunch of guys in their 50s offering me like half-smoked joints. I'm like, guys... It's 2022. If you want to smoke weed, there's just a lot cleaner ways to do this. Yeah, there's a there's a little device that you can. <laughs> yeah. I was like, just eat a gummy, you Give know, me a gummy bear. The amount of people who are passing still just passing around joints and like glass bowls. It's, I was like, come on, guys. It's, it's part on. of the aesthetic. It's why people still have you know vinyl record players. <laughs> It's like we have more effective means. I just like the old way. I just want to torch my lungs in this crappy paper than have everybody push their lips to it after, you know, two years of a pandemic. Well, maybe that's what will, uh, that's the herd immunity we've <laughs> heard so much about. I like that your story began with, I love my, my great family and my in-laws. They uh, are completely gone from this scenario. They do not exist in this world of fun that I danced around and had 19 busies in. It's always lovely when people... Uh make sacrifices it for is. you to be able to enjoy things. And so I uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful weekend, a top-notch uh, weekend for sure. And I, uh, I don't know, man. It was one of those, you know, like Saturday, I did miss the fact that there wasn't a Game 7, but I didn't miss it that much. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the Pelican season ended when it, should have as much as like I think they kind of deserved to play game seven. They played well enough mm -hmm. in that last game to go, but it did feel like it was kind of like that was the right way to go out. It it did seem like the right way. It felt like a blowout was imminent. Uh, the Pelicans, uh, you know, I think their biggest loss in that series was fourteen points, and yeah. even that game felt yeah until a the lot end. closer than the score showed. So I I understand what you're saying there. A Pelicans game during Jazz Fest would have been a taste of first half of the season Pelicans, I think. Yeah. I, I think it would have been hard to find a TV at Jazz Fest. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it would have been weird to have Game 7 going on, like, literally during the day during the fest. Yeah. Uh, even though I know it's not, like, you know, all locals and whatever out there. But it was, uh, I don't know, it also just felt like the send-off, like, in retrospect, looking at it back, like, clearly it was a disappointing moment for them to lose the way they lost, Chris Paul playing so well. But, like, Getting to play that last game at home, I think, offered people the closure of like being able to congratulate this team under very real circumstances. Like teams that lose very rarely get cheered off of the floor. Right. Uh, the the ovation for Willie Green was felt very real. The ovation for Brandon Ingram felt very real uh, as they were leaving, and like those kinds of things, I, I just think poetically made a lot more sense when you think about this season as a whole than if they had gone to Phoenix on Saturday and gotten their doors blown off the way that Phoenix kind of, you know, with a healthy Devin Booker, crushed the Mavericks in game one on Sunday. Yeah, that crescendo was special. And, you know, you could imagine that maybe there would have been the same send-off if they won, uh, you know, maybe It just wouldn't not. have felt as special, right? Yeah. Like, everybody cheers after a win. It, it you know? was a... 
you know, it was a bow. It was a nice bow on the season. Yeah. If the Pelicans had gotten to Game Seven, no fans, including us, would not be complaining. But it's nice to see Game Six for kind of the sweet little bow on the package that it was. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And I think you could feel that as the team went through uh, exit interviews. On Friday, uh, there was uh, kind of a weird moment. Uh, the team had all of the sales staff, including uh, the front office workers, coaching staff, and I think actually Gail Benson was there for at least part of it. Uh, the team took video of it, and they're all kind of standing there watching as the players came back. Did you see this video? Yeah, I did. And they were, like, lined up. It felt like... <laughs> Some weird Disneyland thing that happens underneath Epcot. Where they're like, hey, good job. It was so, I mean, like, it actually ended up being, I think, a pretty good aesthetic as far as uh, what they wanted to show, which was, like, congratulating the players and, like, showing a camaraderie amongst the organization. But all I could think of is how awkward it was in the minutes in between the players showing up and all these guys are just standing in a hallway staring at each other waiting for some guy to walk through the door. It was a it was a surprise party 12 times. <laughs> Everybody hates surprise parties. It was so weird. I was like I was like I get it like I think it actually was a good marketing idea whatever, but the obvious skeptical side of which I clearly have is just going like how weird for those guys to have to stand there and wait for each one of these dudes to come through. It's like, oh, look, it's Jackson Hayes, everybody. <laughs> woo Oh, my gosh, it's Garrett Temple. Yay! <laughs> it's like, it's just like, oh, it's not, and it's not like they're fans who like are super, they yeah. work there. They're, they're there like, Instead of, you know, clacking away at their computers, they're yeah, standing it's like, there. It's like if the, the fry guy at McDonald's had to cheer on the hamburger. <laughs> he doesn't know him personally. He's, he might not be a fan. He's just where the money comes from. If I opened a McDonald's franchise, I would make them cheer for me every time I came in. You would be dressed as the hamburger. <laughs> as or Grimace. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it was just a, a particularly funny moment. But I did think... It did capture it a little bit, right, of like, you know, the uh, that magic is not going to be there next year, as we've spoken about a little bit last week. Like, there's a lot going on with this team uh, when it comes to growing the expectations. This was a great way to set a baseline. I think the last two months caught people by surprise, which is really uh, what spurred on so much enthusiasm. Uh, but in order for this team to get where they need to be, there is one very critical element and that is bringing Zion Williamson back into the fold. We've spent a lot of time talking about Zion, but the headline out of Friday was very clearly uh, the phrase, I will sign it as quickly as possible when he's asked by Fletcher Mackle about a contract extension. Uh, did that to you ring out as this is a thing that's going to happen, or did that ring out to you as a thing that is like, stop asking me this shit, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear? I, that question is always the what you want to hear answer. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as anything. I, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. It is what every player <laughs> says to that question, unless you're, you know, James Harden or Ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, and even they at some point probably answered it that way. Yeah. Right? yeah. Of course they did. Every, everyone who's ever been in a position where they would care if they resign, everybody wants to retire here. Larry Nance said that he wants to retire here. <laughs> Anthony Davis said that yeah. he wanted to retire. Everybody said that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I think what happened was you 
you're peering into Fletcher's beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> and you see that, like, thick hair, and you're like, God, I wish I had what he has. I'll agree to whatever he's saying. Yeah. Were they, was he in person or was it on Zoom? No, it was in person. Okay, then yeah. Then yeah. Absolutely. That, uh, that Mackle man, you can't miss that. I mean, they're, you know, not eye to eye. But <laughs> Fletcher tweets his height a lot. <laughs> I know, like every 10 tweets, he'll like post a picture next to a basketball player and then note his, he'll be like, well, you know, I'm 5'11". <laughs> yeah, we know. Every man on earth is 5'11". <laughs> not, not this podcast. No. Uh, 6'2". <laughs> uh, a couple of Donnesses here. Uh, yeah, I thought Zion saying he wanted to sign it was at least uh, a good sign. It's better than him being like wishy-washy and like, ah, you know, it depends on what's right, whatever. And I think, I think if you had caught him at a different time of the season, he basically admitted it. He's like, I was really not in a good place mentally during the middle of the year, especially when he went over to Portland. He was like, he felt... I guess disconnected, I think was the word he used. Uh, I think he, he just said he was not in a good yeah, place. Yeah, because he disconnected himself. Yeah, and I, but I think he disconnected himself because he was not happy with the yeah, situation. You and know, that, And that, this is exactly what we said in our famous clip that went viral. Yes. We said if Zion was just open and honest about where he's feeling, even if it's, especially if it's about mental health, everybody's going to have his back. It was that chasm of silence that uh, is still setting the precedent for uh, do we care about what Zion is saying? Is he just saying the shit to say it right now? Because of all of that. So it's it's nice to hear him uh, open up a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, uh, it, nothing's ever good enough for Polk and Kush, but why the fuck didn't you, <laughs> you know, say something months ago? Yeah. And I do think it would have uh, it calmed a lot of the chaos around them, especially when things were going bad and especially when he was getting ripped on a lot for his weight in the national media. I think all those things come into play. And, and look, you know, I, I grant him some leeway as far as going through it. That's not an easy situation. I don't think anybody wants to not play at all. I certainly don't think they like being made fun of by, you know, really famous people on national TV all the time. Uh, and, and he basically said he thought he was healthy enough to play, which then leads us to the question of like, okay, so he says he wants to sign. He says he was healthy enough to play. Is he going to do it? And the response that we got from the person who's in charge of really that is David Griffin. And his answer was like, it's going to be really complicated. Like it's not as simple as your typical superstar second contract, which is here's a truckload of money. Here's the player option. Like the Anthony Davis deal that got done in five seconds, uh, however long ago that was, or you're, you know, you're just your typical second deal is very standard in the NBA. And this is not going to be standard because they have to include some health stuff. They're going to have to, you know, negotiate the player option, whether or not that belongs to Zion or that's going to be, you know, for the team. Uh, all those things are kind of up in the air. And so as much as he's saying, I'm ready to sign it tomorrow. He's saying I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to sign the contract that I want mm-hmm. tomorrow. Now, health stipulations. What does that affect in the contract? Is that just for money? So typically, like what Joel Embiid I think had built into his because he also missed a ton of games in his rookie contract. It was like based on the amount of minutes played, the amount of games started, all those sorts of things. 
uh, had escalating clauses for more money. And I think that makes a lot of sense on paper. But if you're Zion and you're saying you're healthy enough to play and the medical staff held you out, why on earth would you agree to a contract with a place where they are going to dictate the amount of games that you play? Yeah, I don't know if the goodwill that that Zion, you know, sprung into at the end of the season uh, is going to go that far. Yeah. Where, you know, it doesn't necessarily I guess it really hasn't been addressed from Zion uh it kind of has been from his stepfather, but if he trusts that that kind of decision making to leave it to the team, if he understands why they did it this season, I guess is the biggest question. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever get a. He's real, not going to speak to that. Yeah, and I don't. Again, like like you just said, I don't think we'll ever get a real answer on that. Um, I think his his the way he acted made it obvious he's dunking in pregames and. He was basically trying to tell people I'm ready to go. And he yeah. said he felt really good. So, and I, I, I'm sure he does, right? Like, I'm sure in his heart he felt he was ready to play. I'm confident sitting there watching the playoffs as your team makes it for the first time since you've been in the NBA has to be really hard when you think you can help and they're not letting you. And it just all goes to, to back to like, so when you're negotiating this contract, and they've got that kind of, you know, if nothing else, a disagreement, maybe not necessarily conflict. I think it's a conflict. But even if it's just a disagreement, why would he ever agree to stipulations in his deal based on the amount of games played, based on the amount of minutes played, based on anything that regards health when he thinks they've held him back from a health perspective? Yeah, I don't know. Is that something that he could you know, kind of circumvent with another team? Is yeah. anyone in the league going to veto those clauses? Yeah, I mean, I think that's... And that's really, like... The way the the negotiations work is basically he's only negotiating right now with the Pelicans. That's kind of the way it's set mm-hmm. up. Uh, now, the Pelicans can re-sign him to the deal that he wants and then trade him almost immediately... There will be teams who will take on a five-year max contract for Zion in a heartbeat, no matter what the stipulations are. Uh, that would include teams like Atlanta and Charlotte and probably New York. Now, I'm not sure what the return would be on that, uh, but you could get a team like that is a tradable contract no matter what's inside of it because mm-hmm. he is an amazing player and he's 21 years old and those guys are very hard to find. But the Pelicans, as they sit here today, I think are going to try to extract some layer of leverage out of this, knowing that Zion would have to take at least some financial risk if he did not sign the deal and waited to go into regular free agency a year from now. I just don't. It's a game of chicken that doesn't seem like it's going to have a winner. Right. Like that's a hard Mm -hmm. game to play. I think Zion is doing the right thing publicly by posturing himself to say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to do whatever, and I'm ready to play. So, you know, give me, put the contract in front of me. Let's sign it. Let's be done with this thing. I'm ready to, to be a part of this team. Well, I think we are used to being in the dark concerning what Zion wants and what the team wants for Zion. So yeah. it's looking like more of the same. But, like, how, how healthy would he have? Like, he can't show in the next two months he's healthy, right? Like, Unless, what can he do? What, through Instagram clips? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, his, his stepdad's going to call him more shows. <laughs> like, he can't play on an NBA court. Like, he's done five on five. Like, 
he's not going to be able to show that he's ready to go until next season starts. And by then, it's too late to have all this figured out. Well, the Pelicans could say, we kept you out the end of this season as added insurance for this contract. Yeah, which I think is true. Yeah. Because they didn't want him to you know, get hurt. I, I think there's a disagreement generally about whether or not he needs uh, he needs more time in order to be ready. But like, it's not pretty when there's a, a, a conflict between the top of the front office and Zion. I also think what Griff said was really telling of him being like, it's going to be complicated because a lot of times with these deals, it's like anything he needs, we got it. You know, mm-hmm. like that's especially with a guy like Zion. The Brandon Ingram deal was kind of a no doubter, but even that the Pelicans extracted uh, some leverage because they got Brandon Ingram to agree to no player uh, player option, so that they, he's with the team all the way through his deal. That's a huge difference, especially as he's gotten as good as he was toward the end of this year. You get him for an extra season because you kind of hung on to that negotiation. They're going to try to do that with Zion too. I don't think they have the same kind of leverage. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we got a lot more Pelicans to talk about as things go along. There's going to be a whole uh, mess of stuff this offseason. Draft lottery is coming up. The Pelicans own the Lakers pick. A uh, lot going on there. Plus, we've got uh, free agency in the future and then, you know, the next season. So NBA offseason doesn't last that long, even when you're not uh, going deep in the playoffs. So for now, though, we've got the Saints. They made a Big free agent splash. We'll talk about them, plus, of course, local news and some segments. So stick around. We'll be right back. Polk and Kush. All right. Let's meet the Saints draft picks. Let's do it. There's there's uh, so many players. We were recorded on Friday, and they had uh, they'd picked up Olave. Yeah, at that point, um, Chris Olave. Is that how you pronounce it? I think I believe I, everyone I've heard is saying Olave. But considering how everyone in this city talks, I'm pretty sure maybe everybody's wrong. Who knows? He's from Ohio State. Smooth. That's smooth we're, like silk. We're Ohio State University. Yes. He's going to be, you know, out there on the field with uh, Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. Presumably. Mm. Maybe. Mm. He'll be in the arena at the same time. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, they also got another guy. Uh, this guy's a dirty white boy, just like that song. <laughs> Na- nasty. Nasty, they said, right? He's a nasty man. That means he voted for Hillary Clinton. (laughs) He's a nasty gal. He, this dirty honky, whatever they're called, (laughs) Trevor Penning. He's he's an offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. We talked about him last time because I remember they were purple and yellow. (laughs) It's still true. When you want (laughs) in-depth facts, strategy, Planning for the future, for the team, for the city we love. You come to Polk and Cush, and I'll tell you the color <laughs> of the team that they used to play for. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Maybe he's an offensive tackle. That means he tackles. 
<laughs> he's offensively. Very... <laughs> he's, he says uh, the R word whenever he tackles people. It's very offensive. He goes, you fucking. And then he tackles them. Uh, he was. <laughs> he's six foot seven, 325. Man, those are. That's us combined. That's, <laughs> we can uh, go into one of those trench coats, you know, on each other's shoulders. I think we could do that's what we That's what we did at Jazz Fest to get into the Miller Lite tent. Uh, your friend, Delonte Taylor, he's a cornerback. He, he is. Got, he got picked up in round two, number 49, the that's, sweet spot. Seems like a stretch. Um, did you, you watch this guy at Tennessee? I huh? did, yeah. I mean, Tennessee was mostly bad during his career, so it's hard to say. Um and he, he was a good player, but, like, I did not – at no time when I was watching him be like, well, surefire NFL, whatever. Like, he had some nice moments, some big plays, but, like, I think it was pretty well well regarded that that was a stretch uh, of a pick. Not to say he can't be good. I think yeah. he's got all the physical stuff, and he's made some big plays. But, like, whew, like I uh, kind of – if you would have told me uh, last year that I'd be watching that guy play Sundays – I would have been a little surprised. He did not. Okay, I guess he did. It says 2020. That's what's throwing me off here. Now, stats. It's got UT. That yes. means ultimate tackle. <laughs> he had 22 of those. Uh, AT, almost tackle. He's seven. <laughs> TT, that's a total tackle. That's our true tackle. 29. Yeah. Sack, zero of zero. FF, zero. Yeah. That's a flagrant foul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> FR0. He has some interceptions, though, right? Uh, not listed. <laughs> Great pick. <laughs> One of the best punt gunners around. He went to Tennessee. So yeah, did he, uh, Marquez Callaway. That's true. And so did Alvin Kamara. And Shy Tuttle. And Shy Tuttle. Wow, good pull. So. Yeah, so of a, a dog, the worst SEC program in the last decade, the Saints have four guys from I, it. Does Vanderbilt have a football team? <laughs> I think they're probably. Look, the, 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 the big overview is the Saints were going for people that they needed. Afterwards, they still had one big, gaping, wet Pulsating wormhole <laughs> that needed to be filled by a honey badger. By a honey badger. We got the honey badger today. He hates that nickname, by the way. Does he really? I know he hates the video yeah. that came from it, where it was like an effeminate voice over a honey badger. It's like a great nickname. Doing though. something. Maybe he's grown to love it. I don't know. One thing we do know is this guy is immediately the fan favorite. Oh, yeah. No questions asked. Probably the number one selling jersey currently. Yes. Uh, taking over uh, Taysom Hill. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Who yeah. I believe has the same number as Tyron. As the Tyron's number. college number. Is there a worse sports discussion than number discussion? Cannot understand. It I at don't all. know or care who has what or Doesn't where. Matter. For one game, I was kind of like, "Oh, that's weird." That like you know, Marquez Callaway had like number one or whatever. And I was yeah. Like, oh, that's a little weird. And then I immediately forgot that that was even a thing ever. The only one where I was like, genuinely, it took me a couple games was uh, Mark Ingram. I think wore fourteen. Yeah. Last year. And I was like, I don't recognize who that is. And it's like, oh, that's Mark Ingram. 
But it, I still didn't care. Uh, and I don't care what number Tyron Matthews. Tyron Matthews hasn't worn number seven in like over a decade. I can't imagine he's that married to it. If uh, if that <laughs> if if he hadn't he didn't choose to switch to it in Kansas City last year, um, but he's a great player, man. Like people are gonna people already love him. They love him from his time at LSU. He was probably the most electric defensive player I ever saw in college. And he's not quite that guy in the NFL, but he is a very solid uh, performer. He brings, he plays with a lot of passion. He is very important. I think he does a lot, a lot of the stuff that Malcolm Jenkins did. Uh, Tyron Matthew will be able to replace immediately. Yeah, Tyron Matthew uh, and Marcus May from the uh-huh. Jets are coming in to fill the shoes of Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams. I guess there's a little more versatility with these safeties. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins and uh, Marcus Williams like stuck to free safety and so on. Sure. Strong safety pretty heavily. Apparently, this versatility with these two guys, yeah. that's going to help us win. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely re- recognize the difference of that. You know, watching. I'm always out there. I'm like, he's playing like a free safety. <laughs> he needs to look stronger. I don't know what any of that means, uh, but I would imagine that a free safety has he's just running willy nilly. <laughs> he's just free to roam. They're like, like a horse in the if prairie. You, yeah. if, like if you need help, yell and he'll come get you. And the strong guy, he's like the bruiser. Like he's he's enforcing. You know, like if Travis Kelsey's coming, like he's gonna get the big guy. He's yeah. not gonna like tackle Deontay. Sure. If, if he does, he's gonna rip him in half. He's, yes. He's there to tackle the big guy. Yes. To jump on top. He's there to work the door. Is that true? Uh, Anything I said? Yeah. I mean, the free safety I, I tend to think of as the last line of defense. Yeah. And the strong safety is more the guy who covers the middle ground. Because you're going, he's breaking free. And yeah. then Marcus Williams... <laughs> Well, is on the ground yeah. facing the other direction. Yeah. Okay. Now it makes sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, the secondary of the Saints, though, hard to imagine a lot more talented group has ever come here uh, when, you, when you think of uh, May, who's, you know, we'll see what he ends up doing with the Saints, but he was very good with the Jets uh, on a, a bad, bad team. Uh, but him and then Matthew, two very proven NFL guys, Lattimore obviously has tons of skins on the wall, and CJJG, who was a goddamn stud oh, uh, yeah. when he played last last year, and those are four really really good pieces uh, in your secondary, and kind of replenishes this team defensively in a hurry. I think they still have a hole at linebacker. Pete Werner uh, is supposed to start right now. He sucks, uh, but everybody else, you know, I, I don't. I mean, if you have Davenport, Cam Jordan. Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, like that, that's that's a good little defense you can run out there. And uh, a lot is going to come down to Jameis. We already know that. Uh, they didn't do a whole lot to address, you know, uh, you know, in terms of free agency to address the weapons, uh, but they did in the draft. So this is a interesting season. I think it's very clear the Saints still think they're good. And I think a lot of people around the NFL thought mm. the Saints – were understanding they were not good. And the Saints said, no, we are old and we want to win now. Yeah, well, it's something to look forward to. Uh, I know nobody in New Orleans wants to root for another losing season and wants to 
You know, they want to see Jameis have some people to throw the ball to. The biggest criticism of last season was Jameis was below to average, and he just didn't have anybody to throw to. Hopefully that's not the case this season, and, uh, you know, maybe it speaks to Dennis Allen becoming the head coach that the defense kind of filled in so quickly. Obviously this is going to be a lot different on the field than it is on paper. It always is. Draft grades are ridiculous. Yes. But looking position to position, uh, the the Saints, you know, went for what they should have. Yeah. Last year there was a lot of games where Marquez Callaway was probably the the most reliable weapon on the field, uh, especially once Kamara got hurt. That is not going to happen, at least to start this season. It would take a lot of injuries to get there. Taysom Hill at tight end is still a giant question mark. But Olave and Michael Thomas are extremely talented, if nothing else. Deontay Hardy slash Harris. We obviously know what he's capable of from the slot. Like, they've got guys. The question is, are your guards still terrible? And is Jameis Winston decent? And I don't know the answer to those questions. Neither does anybody else. But the Saints have kind of banked on not, like, not setting themselves up for the future in betting that those guys are going to be good enough to win you a bunch of games and perhaps good enough to get you through and through the playoffs. Uh, I don't think they can, but I respect that they're, you know, making the bet and it's going to be, no one wants to like wait for a three year process in the NFL. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. There's no point. You think the Bengals had a three year process? They just figured it out. They got the right quarterback. They got a great draft and they were really good. It just took one really bad season. They kind of like it all clicked. Uh, so that is not to say that that's what's going to happen to the Saints. But I also think it's completely uh, it's boring, honestly, to just watch a team try to like, you know, skate around the bottom and then slowly climb their way up because it doesn't happen that way. It always seems to be lightning in a bottle more than anything else. It is boring. And when a young team catches on, I mean, the entire city of New Orleans was in fuego for the Bengals. Yeah. And even before the Super Bowl, you, you would see Burrow stuff around. And it's, you know, been replicated a little bit with, like, the Pelicans. It's fun to have a winning young team. And fun is a word that was forbidden from the Pelicans lexicon at the beginning of the season. And then it became a staple for the team. It would be very cool to see the Saints become a fun team. Yes. The Saints have been a fun yet heartbreaking team quite often because the stakes were just so high with the Hall of Fame quarterback and Hall of Fame coach yes. and great players around them. The expectations for the Saints have lowered, and they can slide into that fun, surprising category. And I think it bodes well that the Saints have enough confidence in Jameis to give him what is definitely his final shot <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> by putting no in the pieces around him. No doubt. He's got a real team around him. He's got a real defense. They should not. The, the, the bottom line is right now, I think the Saints line was seven and a half, and now it's like eight of terms of wins in Vegas. They should supersede that. If they have not completely botched this thing, they should supersede that based on the way they approach this offseason. So lots to talk about. We'll have tons more Saints uh, as we go through the, the weeks. Uh, but of course that leads us into as always the NOLA breakdown. 
It is filled with juicy jazz. Squalling trumpets and you put Paris in a swamp, and that's Nolans in a nutshell, baby. <laughs> so a man, uh, this was a, this was like a big tactic back in the days of like Dateline NBC when they would do those scams. I loved the things on uh, Dateline. They would like put a wallet filled with money <laughs> on like a newspaper machine and then like be across the street with a camera <laughs> and like film somebody taking the wallet and then run up to him and be like you thief you just stole this wallet <laughs> you know filled with cash they uh I, the the best was whenever they would get people that had like hundreds of parking tickets they would say come down to the police station you've mm. won a boat <laughs> And then these rubes would show up and then go, actually, you've won a $10,000 fine <laughs> for all these parking. But that was back when the when there was law. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before just the total corruption. Uh, over in St. Tammany, they're still deploying some of these tactics. A man hoping to be hired by the St. Tammany Sheriff's Office was instead... Arrested. Oh, a boy. Covington man who applied for a job with the sheriff's office ended up being arrested by that agency for carnal knowledge of a juvenile. Yikes. Does that mean they <laughs> won't actually hire him? <laughs> so should I show up Monday? Or? They're like, we will hire you once you get the carnal knowledge sorted out. <laughs> Sheriff's Office, we're processing this guy's job application. His name's Robert Ebersole. Big fan of the show. Yes. Uh, they were processing his job application. They received a tip. Okay, so he, this was actually a real thing to begin with. Okay. They were processing his job application and received a tip that he had been involved in an inappropriate relationship with an underage person several years ago. After an investigation that included talking to the possible victim, they arrested Ebersole on Tuesday. He will be booked into a St. Tammany Parish jail on a felony carnal knowledge of a juvenile. What does carnal knowledge mean? I think I know what it means, and it sounds very gross. It sounds super gross. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's different than uh, your run-of-the-mill... Uh, yeah, it's not sexual assault. It's not carnal knowledge. Is really yeah. Did he try to eat somebody? Carnal. Is, <laughs> this man belongs in a carnival because that's where he's going to be working once he gets it's out. Going to be jail. a carnival inside of his pants or for the other prisoners when he gets there. Or maybe this could be a turnabout story where he goes to prison. He realizes that he shouldn't have carnaled that. <laughs> child and he gets out and they go you know what we've got your job application right here uh-huh here's your gun yeah here's your badge here's your gun i mean <laughs> new orleans currently with the crime would you be okay with an all criminal police force <laughs> if they promised not to do any more crime why not? Let's do a prison release program. We're like, hey, you like guns? Yeah. You like shooting at people? Here you go. Here's a badge. Yeah, it's the DiCaprio movie where they hire DiCaprio after he steals, he forges checks all over the world. Catch me if you can. Yeah, and they're like, listen, Mr. Abagnale, we want you, instead of being in jail, we want you to come here and catch the check thieves. Yeah. They're going to be like, hey, Mr. 
Ardondo, we need you to catch the carnal people because you know what carnal knowledge yeah. is. You, you're aware of what that means. <laughs> and, and this is something you can't Google. No, because that they show if up you, to your house. If, if you're listening, you're like, you know what? I don't know what that is either. Do not Google it. <laughs> carnal knowledge of minor. Do not Google it. We'll just, uh, we don't need to know, no. frankly. Nope. Don't be around juveniles. Yeah. Don't carnal around them. No. I know that much. Oh, my God. Uh, that's a crazy story. So I wonder if he ended up getting the job anyway. They're just like on hold for a couple months. Probably. Like FMLA law. They're just like, you. all right, you're going to be in jail, but we're going to give you a broom. <laughs> you know, we're released. Uh, um, that's a bad job application. That's very unfortunate. Whatever his references were did not check out. Yeah. Um, the other big story uh, of this weekend, uh, Latoya Cantrell was at the Jazz Festival. I saw her. Uh, at Congo Square. She was at something celebratory? Uh, can you believe it? On, alcohol? On, on a weekday afternoon, she was out there drinking uh, at the festival. She uh, was at Congo Square for her partners in crime. They showed her on the uh, Jumbotron a couple times. I don't know anybody who would lustily boo as she went on the screen, but that would be very immature. Um, so they show her on there. She's wearing this red dress. Somebody on Twitter uh, jumps into... Uh, grabs a picture and says that Latoya looks like uh, a drunk guy at the red dress run. <laughs> it wasn't that wrong. Okay. It was not a great picture of her. Uh, she was, you know, definitely not sober. Uh, and the dress was exactly what I would wear at red dress run. Yeah, as well. It is a red dress. <laughs> yes. She's got on the, the little like, cabana glasses she's got a fanny pack she's doing and this is a telltale move the top drink hold yeah she's holding it like it is a like a baseball like she's about to throw or a can of fireflies yeah like she without a lid that's what it looks like she's got <laughs> she's not looking great here no and that is my freedom <laughs> My Second Amendment or First Amendment. It's in the amendment. Check them. One of the amendments is I can say the mayor looks like a guy. The mayor and also guy is non-gendered. That's true. Guy means person. Uh Uh-huh. She looks like a guy at Red Dress Run, hammered on bourbon around 5 p.m., said Michael Palms. He is a count... Elon Bandit, almost immediately. <laughs> he got booted from Twitter, like permanently. It's permanent, too. Law, as someone who's lost their account permanently a couple times, right? My account <laughs> was permanently banned after I changed my name to Donald J. Trump. And I changed my profile picture to Donald Trump's picture. And I changed my bio to say 45th president of the United States. And then I tweeted, uh, hey, guys, I'm making it legal to drink and drive in New Orleans tonight. And I got a bunch of likes and retweets. And then Twitter said that I was impersonating the president. And they banned me. They banned me before they banned the real fucking guy. That's true. That is true. <clears throat> so as someone who's had a, a, a account permanently banned, do you think this was... It never stops hurting. No. <laughs> I mean, that's... 
I just can't believe you can lose your account for that. That's crazy pants. That's not even that mean. You didn't curse. Well, the the Twitter bots they have like a, a very strong uh, series of words that will get you banned. Uh, very recently with the transgender uh, swimmer uh, that was at like a pin, I believe. Yeah. And the transgender weightlifter from New Zealand. People were tweeting uh, words like guy and man and dude and yeah. looks like, looks like and yeah, in a dress. Yeah. So Twitter like has that finely tuned. Yeah. And I'm sure people in the administration reported it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, if you want to stay on Twitter for a long time, you need to be an ISIS. Those guys <laughs> do not get banned. Like, sincerely, ISIS is on Twitter. You can don't, but you can follow them. Uh, but if you're doing some weird search histories yeah. after this podcast. <laughs> but if you make fun of the mayor, which is really your only outlet mm-hmm. at this point, you can... D- this guy tweeted. Uh, Be an, careful, guy. Th- this this person <laughs> tweeted a, a, a ribald joke about the mayor. Seconds after he tweeted it, his phone was stolen because he lives in New Orleans. <laughs> and then he find, he doesn't get his phone back, but he goes to the pawn shop and he buys another phone and he sets up his Twitter. Banned. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts to get banned over that. Mostly, there's like a law, right, that if the joke is funny and everyone agrees it's funny, then it's kind of okay. Like, you know, there is like, it's offensive when it's not funny. It's offensive when the joke doesn't land. That joke landed. Everybody, I had like 20 people send me that text. Oh, yeah. All the replies are like, he's not wrong, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he does. That's what she looked like. It's just what it was. It was a rough day. I mean, it's 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 a tough day for her going out and drinking in the middle of a work day like that. Yeah. And, you know, she's she was a, clocked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Friday afternoon, no one expects her to be handling city business, you know, shit face in the middle of Jazz Fest. Yeah. I mean, a joke about people. People are so sensitive that jokes about the appearance are like these guillotines on social media where they just chop your fucking head off. Somebody takes a picture of me and they go, hey, it's Michael Stipe with AIDS. (laughs) I don't cry. I don't say they should be fired from the auto zone they work at. You know how many pictures of my own bald spot get sent to me on Twitter? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was pretty common back uh, when I used to actually show up for press conferences. That was a pretty common appearance. Uh, It was Kushner's bald spot. I think had a hashtag for a while. It happens. I was okay with it. You just kind of live and you learn. And, you know, people call me a douchebag a hundred times a day on there. I'm okay with it. You're in you're in the war. I, I understand when you open Twitter, it's a war zone in there. I'm a veteran. You, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I know exactly what I'm doing. Well, I got my purple heart and, you know, I still <laughs> I'll salute your service, but I will never go back to Nam. Uh, so I hopefully this guy gets his Twitter account is very, very funny. Uh, tweet back. Um, very disappointing. So. Uh, anyway, uh, if I have a message to the mayor, it's to lighten the fuck up because who cares? You're the mayor. 
You're that's like what you signed up for was to get made fun of. She's, that's politicians. We're gonna get the, we're gonna see if we can get the podcast banned. People call Mitch McConnell a turtle seven million times a day. He does look like a turtle. He looks like a turtle. I don't think he's getting people banned for that. No, probably not. I you know he's learned to deal with it. I I do think this was set off by the bad word search thing put in place definitely by the swimmer lady so we're blaming the swimmer we've that's we've now this is not a good day to blame women (laughs) but it appears that i am doing just that (laughs) oh hoochie moochie Uh, on that note we will enter my very part of every single week on this here program ladies and gentlemen the worst what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumb. The worst. This comes from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. The Stelegram. <laughs> I wrote for that once. Oh, really? Is that what the story's about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man threatened on internet called enemy of God. <laughs> I've seen some insults thrown online, but some of the ones that get hurled your way, Oof. truly artful. Yes. They really, you know, it seems like uh, when people don't like you, we were just talking about like making fun of people's appearances and stuff. But uh-huh. when, when people don't like you, they really unleash all of the fury that they <laughs> have been withholding from hating their fat, ugly wife, hating their stupid, stinky kids, hating their moron boss down at the cinder block factory. They release all like all road rage. Whenever you see like a video of two guys fist fighting, it's not road rage. They just hate their wives. They're just like she said something about like leaving the cap off the toothpaste and said you were an asshole for finishing the show without her. And then you cut him off at a light and he jumps out and beats you to death. And the whole time he's going fucking Deborah. Uh, I got called. Somebody today blamed me for uh, said if if you if I don't understand that uh, the the there's a faction of this country that wants every single person to have a gun in their hand, then I'm either then I am complicit. So it's my fault for gun violence in the country. I couldn't know if that was pro or anti-gun. I, I get called a liberal uh, pussy, and I get called a conservative dickhead. By so many different people that it almost feels like I'm doing something right. That's good. It's like if you both think that I'm horrible, it's like that's probably means I'm doing something right, right? I think we're going to get the spot on after Bill Moore. <laughs> it's going to be us. Paul yes. and Kush talk show on HBO. I think we could do it. I'm 100% in. All right. From the Stellagram. Yes, the Stellagram. Rattlesnake handler dies doing what he loved after being bitten by a rattlesnake. <laughs> That's what the headline says. That's funny. A veteran, a veteran rattlesnake handler died. Uh, Amateur rattlesnake handler. I, would not have been as good of a story. Truly, I think we're all basically amateur rattlesnake handlers. Some guys are just a little luckier than others. 
Eugene Delion Sr. was bitten on the shoulder during the rattlesnake roundup event. <laughs> <laughs> How many people die at the rattlesnake roundup? He was flown to a Corpus Christi hospital where doctors declared him. <laughs> where he died. Police told the station. Organizers of the Kendall County Fair say Leon died doing what he loved, being with the rattlesnakes. Yes, getting bitten to death. That's what he loved the most. Uh, just like, uh, you know, those guys that died uh, doing autoerotic <laughs> I mean, He David, died doing what he loved, getting strangled to death. David Carradine died having a blast. The love and dedication he displayed for his community was witnessed every day from being a member of the Freer Voluntary, uh, Volunteer Fire Department to being a call-away for local residents to assist with removing snakes from their property, the Chamber of Commerce said. He was always ready to help. We will never forget his excitement during roundup time. <laughs> From doing interviews with television stations to appearing on wildlife shows. He did it all. His sister uh, spoke to his passion for snake handling and said that he had handled rattlers for, quote unquote, many years. I mean, he was due. Right. This is like Steve Irwin. Right. It was like you're you've been playing with fire for a long time. We all respected it. But you knew, as well as I knew, at some point this was not going to end well. There is, th- this might be, there's a documentary about a uh, pageant that happens in Texas with, it's around a snake festival. Okay. And the girls have to, like, interact with snakes and stuff, and they have a lot of these guys. It might be, it might be the same event. Uh, but this is like a town-wide snake handling thing. They got like the snake handling churches. And oh obviously God. this guy getting bit on the shoulder is weird. You always think you get bit in the face yeah. or the hand, the shoulder. It's right on the nose. And this is a man who... Chris Farley. This, this is a man who reserves <laughs> sleeves for court appearances only. I'm looking at a photo of him. You think the casket? <laughs> This this is a sleeveless individual. He is this guy's security at Florabama. <laughs> also, the photo they're used, he's kissing a rattlesnake in the face. I, he looks like he's an older gentleman. Uh, I think he... As far as rattlesnake handlers go, he's <laughs> fucking senior citizen. I, I, I just, like, don't know how else you thought it was going to end. Yeah. Like, that's the, end, that's the end of the story. We know, it's like when you go sit down to watch Titanic. It's like, we know the end of the story. Yeah. The end of the story is you die because the boat crashes. If you're doing a story about a rattlesnake handler, the story ends, the guy died because the rattlesnake killed him. Mm-hmm. Did the tiger kill the magicians, the gay magicians? No, I think that was the... <laughs> um, Siegfried and Wah. Yeah. Yeah. Did he, t- did he kill them? I think they're alive. Are they alive? Maybe. That happened, though, right? Did uh, It's like, how many times can you do this until the tiger's like, yeah. oh, I'm a tiger? Yeah, they've been attacked. I thought you were going to say Tiger King. Now, no, he's one where jail saved Is his he? life. He's in jail, so uh, he can't okay. get killed by a tiger. That's true. Yeah. 
I'm just, I feel like there's always a story. These guys do this stuff long enough. And unless you retire, the retirement is death. Yeah, it's always like whatever you're around will kill you. Uh, you're going to be killed by a maniac on Twitter. Yes, Somebody, unquestionably. He's yes. going to show up at your house <laughs> and be like, I can't believe you said that about Didi Lozada. <laughs> 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 Beat you with a shovel right then and there. Uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, get carjacked. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, I've still got I've still got to pay off $11,000 on that. Don't steal it. And then I'll get shot and killed. Uh, Siegfried died in 2021. Roy died in 2020. But not of the tiger attack. Uh, that was like a long time ago. They died. They both died from COVID. <laughs> Really? No. Nobody, oh, I was like, that nobody, would have been Nobody weird. died from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. Who? John Prine? <laughs> the guy from Fountains of Wayne? That's it. That's it. Uh, no, they died from being old. They died from being old. I've never seen even like married couples like they have separate Wikipedias that like list their deaths. Siegfried and Roy have one Wikipedia for the both of them. They That's share sweet. a Wikipedia page. Were they married? The Osmonds don't even have that. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I guess Penn and Teller even they're separate, right? Yeah, they're s separate human beings. Siegfried yeah. and Roy Wikipedia has their birth and death dates listed next to each other. Were they married to each other? Probably. I assumed they were gay together, but I don't know. I'm sure they dabbled. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, that was a weird finish, but it was a great episode. Thank you all so very much for sticking with us. Uh, we thoroughly appreciate it, and we do love doing this show. Please, if you are on Spotify, uh, rate us. We don't have a lot of ratings on there. We are They are growing, though, and so we do appreciate it. Drop a five-star on there, as well as always on Apple. Uh, and please let us know polk and cush at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for us or anything at all that you would like to hear us talk about uh, thank you so very much for listening to this episode we'll be back next week at this same very time thank you and see you